Chapter 11 Early Saturday morning we drove to the hunting lodge in Todd's Jeep. A red ball of the sun hung low in the morning sky. It shone down on the frosted ground, making the fields glisten like silver. It's going to be a pretty day, Randy said, yawning. She sat beside Todd in the front. Jillian and I sat in the back, slouched sleepily in the seat. Too bad Keith couldn't come, Jillian said, gazing out at the passing farms. I nodded. Yeah, too bad, Todd snickered. Remember last year Uncle George took us guys hunting? Keith almost shut his foot off. What's funny about that? I demanded, sounding more angry than I'd intended. Grinning, Todd shook his head. You had to be there. It was pretty funny. It wasn't as funny as when you took off after that chipmunk, Jillian commented. Her auburn hair glowed like fire as the brightening sunlight beamed down on the cheek. You chased after it as if it were a prized deer. How did you hear about that? Todd demanded. Oh, a little bird named Carlo told me, Jillian replied slyly. Carlo tells me everything. I was just goofing, Todd said, frowning. I wasn't really trying to shoot it. I was just having some fun. Some fun? Shooting at a cute little chipmunk, I muttered. The chipmunk was vicious, Todd choked. It was kill or be killed. Randy frowned. So, are you guys going hunting this year? And just leaving us girls to hang around the lodge, Jillian complained. Girls don't hunt, Todd told her. Girls stay home and wait for the men to bring home the food. What a Neanderthal. I think he was actually serious. Maybe I'm a better hunter than you, Randy challenged him. Todd snickered and shook his head. For sure, he muttered sarcastically. Randy, are you serious? Could you really shoot an innocent pheasant? Jillian asked her, surprised. Probably, Randy replied thoughtfully. We were at a carnival last summer and they had a shooting gallery. You know, you fire air rifles at moving targets. I was really good at it. My parents teased me for days. They said I had a real killer instinct. I hadn't thought about our hit-and-run killing that day until Randy said those words. Leaning back against the seat, I shut my eyes and tried to force the upsetting pictures from my mind. No hunting this year, I murmured. Let's just hang out and have fun. No one said much for the rest of the drive. A little before ten o'clock, Todd pulled the jeep up the long gravel driveway to the hunting lodge. We climbed out and stretched our arms and legs as we gazed around at the woods. The tangled trees, winter bare, cast long blue shadows all around. It really is a beautiful morning, Jillian said. It isn't even that cold. I think we should all go for a long hike in the forest, I suggested. I turned to the lodge, a long, low building built of dark logs. White smoke curled up from the chimney on one side. A rusted old wheelbarrow, piled high with fireplace logs, stood beside the low front porch that stretched the length of the building. A squirrel stood on its hind legs on the log railing in front of the porch. It leaped away and vanished into the woods as the door swung open, and Carlo and his Uncle George came hurrying out to greet us. Uncle George was a tall, red-faced man with a bristly white mustache. He wore a red flannel hunting jacket and one of those caps with furry ear flaps that hunters always wear in cartoons. Carlo was dressed in faded blue jeans and a denim jacket. He smiled in greeting, but I thought he appeared pale and tense. His black hair was unbrushed. The sunlight made him squint through his glasses. Carlo and Jillian exchanged meaningful glances. I didn't have a clue as to what that was about. Uncle George had a booming voice. He greeted each of us warmly and led the way to the lodge. Carlo and I have been slaving all morning over a hot stove to make breakfast, he announced. What's for breakfast? I asked. Frosted flakes, Carlo replied. We all laughed. Everyone seems to be in a pretty good mood. Maybe it won't be such a bad day, I thought hopefully. The lodge was as dusty and run down as I remembered it. 
Uncle George just wasn't much of a housekeeper, but I guess it didn't matter to the hunters, who only spent a night or two while hunting in the forest. We had an enjoyable breakfast, cereal, warm blueberry muffins, and, and big mugs of coffee. Uncle George told funny stories about some of the strange hunters who had visited the lodge. The fire in the wide stone fireplace crackled pleasantly. Sitting at the big oak table in the middle of the dining room, I could feel the warmth of the flames on my back. After breakfast, Uncle George showed us to our rooms to unpack. I found myself thinking about Carlo as I emptied the few things I'd brought from my overnight bag into the small pine dresser. Carlo hadn't joined in the conversation or laughter at breakfast. He was always a pretty quiet guy, but today, I saw, he wasn't just quiet, he was sullen. He kept glancing at Jillian as if trying to communicate something to her. Had the two of them talked more about Carlo's decision to go to the police and confess? Had Jillian persuaded Carlo not to do it? Was she still trying to persuade him? I couldn't tell from their secret glances, and I didn't have long to think about it. Uncle George was loudly calling everyone over. I found him in the gun room. He had pulled open the glass door to the cabinet and was handing out shotguns to the boys as I entered. Oh no, I thought unhappily. Do they have to go hunting again? What a bore. Natalie, would you care to join us this year? Uncle George asked, raising his eyes to me. I shook my head. The sight of real guns still gave me a funny feeling in the pit of my stomach. Maybe I'll just come along for the walk, I told him. Me too, Jillian announced. Natalie and I are wimps. We're not wimps. We're nonviolent, I corrected her. You're wimps, Todd insisted, grinning. Randy is going to hunt. Huh? Jillian and I gaped at Randy in surprise. She avoided our stares. Todd began instructing Randy on the mechanics of the shotgun she held in both hands. He had his arms around her shoulders as he demonstrated how to aim it. It looked to me like an excuse to put his arms around her, and I could tell from Randy's expression that she didn't mind it one bit. Is Randy doing this just to impress Todd, I wondered? How can she like that big moose, I wondered silently. Randy and I had been friends forever, and we shared all of our deepest, darkest thoughts and feelings. But even so, I realized, you can never figure out why someone gets attracted to someone else. Carlo had a shotgun slung carelessly on his shoulder. He stood by the doorway, talking quietly to Jillian. Uncle George was fiddling with a safety catch on a short, sleek shotgun that looked newer than the others. He held it up to Randy. You might want to try this one. It's a little lighter, he told her. Oh no, I'm fine, Randy replied, raising her shotgun by the stock with one hand. Are you really going to fire that thing? Jillian asked Randy. Randy shrugged. Maybe, or maybe I'll chicken out when I see an actual pheasant. None of us are going to see any actual pheasants unless we get moving, Uncle George announced. He walked quickly to the door, tucking his shotgun under the arm of his flannel hunting jacket. You know, most hunters are already in the woods before dawn. We all followed him out the front door. Todd demonstrated the proper way to hold a shotgun to Randy as they walked. Snapping my down parka, I stopped in the middle of the porch. I need my gloves, I announced. Be right back. My hands are always cold. I start wearing gloves as soon as September rolls around. Randy always teases me about it. What's the big deal about cold hands, she asks. I never really have a good answer. I just don't like them. I ran back into the lodge and hurried to my room for my gloves. A few seconds later, I had just stepped back out onto the porch when I heard the loud blast followed by a horrified scream. Chapter 12 Wow, I'm sorry, Todd cried. My eyes started from face to face. It was Jillian who screamed, I realized. Todd gaped at the shotgun in his hand, holding it shakily in front of him. It just went off, he stammered. I didn't think it. 
Let me see it, Uncle George said sternly, frowning. He lowered his shotgun to the ground and reached for Todd's. Maybe the safety catch came undone, he murmured, studying it. I nearly fell over, Todd said, shaking his head. I didn't expect it to go off. He pressed a hand against his chest. My heart is pounding like crazy. Luckily, no one was standing in front of you, Uncle George said. He studied the shotgun a while longer, then handed it back to Todd. Careful, okay? Maybe Todd should walk in front, Randy choked. I don't think I want him standing behind me. Don't make jokes, Carlos said tensely, casting a quick glance at Jillian. I mean, that gun going off wasn't too funny. Carlo was right, Todd agreed quickly. I'll be a lot more careful from now on, he promised. Really? Uncle George passed out the temporary hunting license he had gotten for us. I got them from my friend Chuck at Town Hall, he said. We're bending the rules a little, but I think Chuck will look the other way. He's probably out doing a little hunting himself today. Uncle George led the way into the woods. There's a clearing surrounded by low shrubs and weeds up ahead, he announced, speaking just above a whisper now. We'll duck low behind the shrubs and wait a while. Hey, look at these. What are these prints? Todd asked, pointing to some scratches in the dirt. Are they deer prints? Uncle George glanced down at them for less than a second. Dog prints, he said, grinning. Try not to shoot any dogs today, okay, Todd? We all laughed. Even Carlo cracked a smile, I saw. I think it was his first smile of the morning. The wet, brown leaves bent under our shoes as we followed Uncle George deeper into the woods. The air was cold and still. No breeze at all. I took long strides, keeping close to Jillian. We pushed dry brush and low tree limbs out of our way as we followed the others along a narrow, winding path. I'd had a very frightening experience in the woods once, ever since I didn't like the idea of being alone in them. It had happened during a class nature study trip in third grade. We were following a nature trail in one of the state parks about 20 miles from Shadyside. I stopped to study a plant that someone told me was poison oak. I don't know why. But I've always been fascinated by poison ivy and other plants that are supposed to do bad things to people. When I looked up, the rest of my class had moved on. I called to them, and I went running down the path to catch up, but I must have taken a wrong turn. I found myself surrounded by a tangled thicket of trees and prickly shrubs. I called and called, but no sign of the other kids or of the two teachers who had brought us there. My arms and legs got all scratched, and in my desperate hurry to find my friends, I ran smack into a low-hanging tree limb and cut my forehead. The warm blood poured down my forehead into my eyes. I kept running blindly, calling to my teachers. When I reached a small dirt clearing, I stopped there, gasping for breath, wiping the blood off my forehead, and I listened. I listened for my friends' voices. I listened for the calls of my teachers. But I heard only a rustling in the shrubs, and the low grunt of an animal. A bear? A wolf? My eight-year-old imagination ran wild. Frozen in fright, I listened to the menacing grunts and growls, heard the rustling footsteps draw closer, and I started to run again, deeper into the woods, deeper, running for my life. I spent the night huddled miserably on a flat stone, crying until my sides ached, and listening, listening for the sounds of approaching animals. The most terrifying night of my life, a night of a thousand nightmares. The rangers found me just after dawn the next morning. I was cold and dirty and scratched up, trembling with fear, and I never felt quite the same way about the woods again. The woods, I had learned that day and night, were a place where the wild creatures lived, a place where people were not the ones in control. And so, following Uncle George and my friends into the forest today was sort of an act of courage on my part. I've always tried to overcome my fears. I think it's really important. But even so, I stayed close to Jillian, keeping my eyes on her as I followed the twisting path. 
and huddled close to her as everyone crouched behind the weed-choked clearing to watch her pheasants. I don't know how I lost track of her, and the others. I lost interest in a wait for a pheasant to appear. I started to daydream, and remembered that frightening day and night back in the third grade. A gunshot in the distance brought me back to the present. I had been sitting cross-legged behind a clump of dry bushes, but the crack of the gunfire made me jump to my feet. I glanced around, felt a stab of panic in the pit of my stomach when I didn't see Jillian, or anyone else. I realized they must have moved on to another spot. Forcing back my fear, I started to walk. I opened my mouth to call out, but drew in my breath when I remembered that the others needed silence. No pheasant would stumble into their path if I stood there calling at the top of my lungs. Natalie, be calm, I instructed myself. You're not in third grade any longer. There are no bears or wolves hiding in the trees to pounce on you. You can always find your way back to the lodge. Yes, I decided. That's exactly what I'll do. I'll go back to the lodge and wait for the others. I stumbled into a rut in the dirt, reached out and grabbed a tree trunk to keep myself from falling. Taking a deep breath, I turned and started walking, more carefully this time, in the direction of the lodge. I had walked for about ten minutes when another gunshot rang out up ahead. I stopped. The sun floated through an opening in the trees. I'm going the wrong way, I realized. I've never had much sense of direction. Muttering to myself, I turned back, past a tall clump of brown weeds. A narrow dirt path led the way through the trees. I eagerly followed it. This way is right, I murmured out loud. I'll be back at the lodge in no time. I followed the curve of the path past a row of slender pine trees, the only green in this forest of drab winter browns and grays. I stopped and raised both hands to my face when I saw the legs sprawled across the path. The brown boots were tilted at such a strange angle. A wave of confusion swept over me, pushing me closer, pushing me toward the strange, frightening scene. Swallowing hard, I squinted at the unmoving form, trying to make sense of it, trying to figure out what I was seeing. Then, one by one, the horror came together. The picture became clear. I saw Carlo's glasses, lying broken in the dirt. I saw the shotgun on the ground at his side, saw an outstretched hand, so pale and small. Then I recognized Carlo's denim jacket, spattered with dark blood, and at the collar of the jacket, at the collar, at the dark-stained collar, the bright red pulp, the shattered shards of gray bone, nothing at the collar, nothing but bone and blood, nothing. And without realizing it, a shrill voice tore from my throat, and I started to scream, Where is his head? Where is his head? Chapter 13 the blast from a gun had shattered Carlo's skull. Pieces of skin and jagged shards of bone were strewn over the grass and weeds. Where is his head? Where is his head? I don't know how many times I shrieked those terrifying words, until finally my breath caught in my throat and I started to retch. Leaning over the weeds, I felt strong hands grab my heaving shoulders. I turned to see Todd holding onto me tightly. I spun away. He had tossed his shotgun to the ground. His blue eyes were wild. His mouth was open in a wide O of horror, and his breath escaped in shallow, wheezing gasps. Natalie, he choked out in a breathless whisper. Natalie, Natalie, he kept repeating my name, his eyes so wide and crazy, his whole face twisted, tight against his skull, his white lips trembling now. Natalie, Natalie, and then his whole body trembling. Both of us were frozen there, bent on the path, trembling, panting, staring at each other, both of us beside the headless corpse of our friend. And then Todd's eyes locked on mine. Don't tell, he said in a low, menacing voice. 
Chapter 14 Huh? I swallowed hard. I wasn't sure I heard him correctly. Don't tell, he repeated through clenched teeth, about everything that happened before. I continued to stare back at him. My stomach was still lurching, my legs still trembling. Keep the vow, Natalie, Todd urged. Keep her secret. It has nothing to do, nothing to do with this, nothing to do with today. I shook my head hard. I couldn't make sense of Todd's words. Nothing made sense. Nothing. His eyes were so strange, so intense, as if they were trying to cut through me. Don't tell. About last week, he repeated. Natalie, don't tell about the accident. An accident. The town police called Carlo's death an accident. I was at home when I read the explanation in the newspaper the next day. Mom and Dad had been so good to me, so kind and understanding. They gave me space when I needed to cry, and they were both there when I needed to talk. Carlo's Uncle George had been devastated by the sight of his nephew. He became speechless, went into shock, I guess. The white-uniformed medic set him down on a stretcher. He made no attempt to resist. They covered him in blankets and drove him away in an ambulance. I wondered if I would ever see him again. The rest of us could barely speak, could barely form words to answer the quiet but insistent questioning by the somber-faced police officers. And then, the next morning, I read the morning newspaper, holding it tightly in both hands to keep it from shaking. I read the official explanation. An accident. Carlo tripped over an upraised tree root. The shotgun stock banged against the tree trunk. The gun went off, shattering his skull. There were more words. They blurred before my eyes. Words about the direction of the bullet, the impact of the shot. Words. Black words on a gray page. Words black as death. I couldn't read them. I didn't have to read them to know that Carlo was dead. Shy, quiet, good-natured Carlo. Troubled Carlo. Carlo, who had decided to go to the police to break our vow of silence. Carlo was dead. And the newspaper said it was an accident. The town police said it was an accident. Everyone wanted to believe it was an accident. But I had heard Todd's threat. I had heard Todd's words. Words so cold it made me shiver. Maybe Carlo should have an accident. Those were Todd's words. And then Carlo had an accident. So what was I to believe? Was I to believe the official police report? Or was I to believe the desperate, wild look in Todd's eyes as he clenched his teeth and murmured in that low, threatening voice? Don't tell, Natalie. Don't tell. What to believe? What? Did Carlo really blow his own head off? Could he have been that unlucky? The police know what they're doing, I told myself. They study these things. The police wouldn't lie. And then, I thought, the police want it to be an accident. So much simpler. So much quicker and cleaner. No case to solve. No murderer to find. Murderer. The ugly word repeated in my mind, and I saw Todd, in the woods yesterday, his face twisted. Those wheezing guests escaping his open mouth. Don't tell. Don't tell, Natalie. Did Todd carry out his threat? Did Todd give Carlo an accident, as he had suggested? No. No, I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to believe anything. I didn't want to know anything. I suddenly felt as if my head would burst open. I knew too much. I knew too much about the mayor's sister, about Carlo, about Todd. My parents had gone out. The first time they had left me alone in the house since I returned from the forest. I suddenly wished they hadn't left. I needed to talk. I needed to tell them everything. I couldn't keep it in any longer. I couldn't bear to know all that I knew. Don't tell. Don't tell. Todd's ugly words repeated it in my mind. My room blurred. I rubbed my tired eyes. When I opened them, I still couldn't focus. But I saw Todd burst through my bedroom door. How did you get in? I wanted to ask. Todd, who let you into my house? But I didn't have a chance. 
He grabbed me, and I started to scream. Chapter 15 Let go of me! Natalie, what's wrong? I squinted at him, struggling to focus. Keith? I realized I was staring at Keith, not Todd. I... I thought... His dark eyes burned into mine. Natalie, are you okay? No, I cried. No, I'm not okay. And before I could think about it, I pulled him close, pressed my burning hot face against his. We stood there with our arms around each other, hugging each other tightly, our hearts pounding together. We didn't talk. We didn't move. I just wanted to hold on to him, to hold on to him forever. Finally, we pulled apart. I'm so glad you're here, I murmured, holding on to his hands. He stared hard at me, studying my face. I rang the bell. No one answered, but I saw your light on. I let myself in. I, I didn't hear it, I stammered, pulling him over to the bed. We sat down side by side, still holding hands. I was thinking, I mean, I, I don't know what I mean. I sobbed my throat. Oh, Keith, I'm so upset. I heard about Carlo, he replied softly. I hurried over here as soon as I heard. I knew you'd be upset. It, it must have been so horrible, Natalie. I nodded. A single tear rolled down my cheek. My face was burning. How did it happen? Keith asked, gently rubbing the tear off my cheek with one finger. Can you talk about it? If you don't want to, you don't have to. I kissed his cheek. He was being so kind, so understanding. I had never seen this side of Keith before. Usually, he was so eager to be cool that he never let any real emotions show. But Carlo had been Keith's friend, too, a very good friend and I could see that Keith was nearly as upset as I was. As I stared into Keith's sad, dark eyes, something inside me broke. Like a dam bursting, the words poured out of me. Todd killed him, I cried. Keith swallowed hard. His expression didn't change. I think he was too stunned to understand my words. Todd did it, I repeated, squeezing Keith's hands. My hands were suddenly ice cold. The night before, Todd said that Carla would have an accident, and then he did. Keith let go of my hands and jumped to his feet. He shook his head hard, his expression bewildered. Natalie, what are you talking about? He demanded. You're not making any sense. Why would Todd kill Carlo? I took a deep breath, and then the whole story came tumbling out in an avalanche of words. I couldn't keep it inside any longer. I forgot about our vow of secrecy. I told Keith everything. His mouth dropped open. He sank back down onto the bed as I talked. I started at the beginning and didn't leave anything out. I told him about leaving the party with Randy and the others how we turned onto the dead-end street, how we hit the mayor's sister's car, how we drove away. I told him about the vow the five of us took in Shadyside Park, and how Carlo decided he couldn't keep the vow any longer, and I told him about Todd's threat when he learned that Carlo planned to tell the police. And now Carlo was dead, I said, sobbing, and the police say it was an accident, but I knew different. But I knew different, Keith, and so do Randy, Jillian, and Todd. We know it wasn't an accident. We knew that Carlo was murdered. We know. My voice trailed off. This is so horrible, Keith declared. I, I just can't believe it. I've kept the vow till now, I said, my voice trembling. But I couldn't keep it any longer. I had to tell someone, Keith. I had to tell you. I feel so much better now. I... I stopped when I heard the doorbell. A long ring. Then another long ring. Someone being very impatient. Who can that be? I cried, jumping up from my bed. Rubbing the hot tears off my cheeks, I made my way to the stairs. I'll go with you, Keith said. We hurried down the stairs. I pulled open the front door. Todd stared in at us. His jacket was open, revealing a stained sweatshirt underneath. Even in the porch light, I could see that his eyes were red-rimmed and bloodshot. His expression turned to surprise when he saw Keith. Todd, why are you here? I demanded. He replied in a low voice, avoiding my eyes. 
I, uh, I just wanted to see if you were okay, Natalie. No, I'm not okay, I replied, feeling another tear slide down my cheek. Todd turned to Keith. You heard? About Carlo? Keith nodded coldly. I still can't believe it, Todd said, shivering. He took a step toward the door. Can I come in, Natalie? I didn't want him in my house. I didn't ever want to see him again. Staring at his pale face, his disheveled hair, his red-rimmed eyes, I realized I was afraid of Todd now, terribly afraid. It's kind of late, I told him. I could see the hurt in his eyes. I won't stay long. I just thought it might be good to talk or something. He let out a long sigh. I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I stopped here. I've been driving and driving, just cruising around, not stopping, not seeing anything. I'm really messed up, I guess. He shook his head. What a phony, I thought, feeling my anger rise. What a total phony. Does he really think this pitiful act will fool me? And then the words burst out as if they were coming from someone else, as if I had no control over them. Todd, did you kill Carlo? I demanded. His eyes bulged, and he let out a gasp of surprise. Huh? I could feel Keith's hand on my shoulder, warning me to back off, but I wasn't going to let Todd off the hook. Did you? I cried. Did you kill Carlo? Todd coldly narrowed his eyes at me. Yes, he replied. Chapter 16 Keith's hand tightened on my shoulder. I let out a low gasp. Sure, Natalie, I killed him, Todd said angrily. See, I kill a friend of mine every week. It's my hobby. He rolled his eyes in sarcasm. I opened my mouth to speak, but no words came out. How could you ask me that question? Todd snapped bitterly. You've known me since we were kids. Do you really think I could do something like that? Todd, I... I started. But he continued shouting, his anger rising. Do you really think I could go up to a friend of mine, raise a shotgun to his head, and blow his head off? Is that what you think of me? Todd, the n night before, I stammered, holding on to the storm door. The night before, you said... I was joking, Todd cried heatedly. I told you I was joking. You know me, Natalie. You know my sick sense of humor. I stared back at Todd thoughtfully. I was trying to decide if this angry speech was all part of an act. Todd's clever attempts to throw me off the track. Todd, you can shout and protest all you want, I thought bitterly. But you're not going to convince me that you didn't carry out your threat, that you didn't kill Carlo. I saw a neighbor's porch light flash on. Our shouted conversation was starting to draw attention. I decided to end it. I'm really sorry, I told Todd. I'm just so messed up. I don't know what I'm saying. We're all really messed up, Keith added. I can't believe I won't go into Homer Monday morning and see Carlo in his usual place in the back row with his dirty sneakers up on a chair in front of him. Yeah, me too, Todd muttered. His eyes were studying Keith. Todd is wondering how much Keith knows, I realized. Todd is wondering if I told Keith about the accident. He stared at Keith for a long while. Then he turned toward the driveway. Guess I'll get going. See you guys Monday. Keith and I muttered goodbye. Todd walked to his jeep. He turned back to us before opening the driver's door. Hey, you know something, Natalie? He called, his voice tense, emotional. You know something? I wasn't the only one in the woods with a rifle yesterday morning. Want a Coke or something? Jillian pulled open the refrigerator door and bent to search the bottom shelf. I have some apples. I'll take an apple, Randy said. Jillian tossed an apple across the kitchen to the table. Randy reached up and caught it. There's a couple of slices of cheesecake in here, too, Jillian announced. Bring out everything, I suggested. We'll have a feast while we study. Jillian sighed. I've been so upset all week, I haven't been able to eat a thing. Yeah, me too, I replied, sifting through my advanced math text. After Carlo's funeral on Tuesday, I couldn't even cry. It was like I was all cried out or something. 
The room fell silent for a moment. It was a blustery, rainy Thursday night. Randy and I had come over to Jillian's to study for the math test and to cheer Jillian up. She was Carlo's closest friend, after all. But so far, Randy and I hadn't been doing a very good job in the cheering up department. We were both still too upset to even fake being cheerful. Rain pattered loudly against the kitchen window over our heads. The wind howled as I cut around the side of the house. The overhead light flickered once, twice, but didn't go out. Jillian carried three apples and a box of cheesecake to the table. I took a deep breath and tried to change the subject away from Carlo, and how upset we all were. Did you see the lip lock Gina Marks had on Bobby Newkirk after school in front of the library? I asked. What was that about? The hall was full. Everyone just stood there and stared at them. When they stopped kissing, everyone clapped and cheered. I thought Miss Dunwick was going to have to pry them apart with a crowbar, Randy declared, rolling her eyes. Gina doesn't care. She's totally nuts about Bobby, Jillian added, setting three cans of Coke onto the table. She sat down on the chair at the head of the table. I don't get it. I think he's a total pig. He's kind of cute, Randy said, biting into her apple. Yeah, just ask him, I declared. Randy shrugged. She ran a hand back through her short blonde hair. I kind of like stuck-up guys. Guess that's why I like Todd so much. The words slipped out of my mouth. I saw Randy's cheeks turn pink. Yeah, well... She took another bite of the apple, then pulled a piece of red skin from her braces. Todd and I are going out Saturday night, she announced. Where? Jillian asked, popping open a soda can. Just to the movies or something, Randy replied. She turned to me. You know, Todd isn't a bad guy, Natalie. Just because he's a jock and he's built like a big bear and likes to act tough sometimes doesn't mean... Hey, give me a break, I cried. I'm not giving you a hard time about Todd, am I? Randy frowned at me, but her anger quickly faded. Sorry, she mumbled. I found myself thinking about Todd's words in my driveway Sunday night. I wasn't the only one in the woods with a rifle. I've been puzzling over those words all week. What was Todd trying to tell me? That someone else had murdered Carlo? Who? Jillian wasn't carrying a rifle. Randy? Randy was the only other one of us carrying a rifle. Was Todd trying to tell me that Randy had murdered Carlo? That was just stupid. Randy was my best friend. I knew her almost as well as I knew myself, and there was no way Randy could shoot Carlo. No way. I felt guilty for even thinking about it for a second, but I'd been thinking about it all week. I watched Randy and Todd huddling close together at Carlo's funeral on Tuesday, gazing across the chapel at them. I had a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. Had they killed Carlo together? They were both so desperate not to get caught, both so determined that no one should confess to the police about the fatal accident. Randy had been driving the car after all without her parents even knowing that she took the car, and Todd was so terrified about his dad losing his new job at the mayor's office. Watching them at the funeral, I became convinced that they had planned Carlo's accident together, and then I immediately felt overwhelmed with guilt. Randy and Todd weren't murderers. They were two kids I had known practically my entire life. Nice, normal kids. Normal kids don't turn into murderers, do they? I spent the rest of the week trying to convince myself that Carlo's death really had been an accident. The mayor's sister had died in a horrible accident. Carlo's death had been an accident, too. If only I could convince myself of that. If only I could really believe in it. This cheesecake isn't bad. Try some, Natalie. Brandy had tossed aside her apple and was forking up sections of cheesecake right from the box. She shoved a fork toward me, and I chewed off a square of the sweet cake. Are we going to study or what? Jillian asked, glancing up at the window. The rain continued to pound against the glass. Yeah, let's start, I said. I need help in just about everything. 
Math is my worst subject. I don't know how I got into the advanced math course. I'll get my backpack. Jillian took a quick swallow from her soda can and disappeared from the room. She appeared a few seconds later, lugging her bulging black backpack. She dropped it onto the kitchen table and started to unzip it. I sniffed once, twice, and let out a low groan. Oh, what's that smell? I cried, covering my nose and mouth. A sickening, sour odor floated out from the backpack. Jillian swallowed hard. Brandy twisted her face in disgust. Oh, gross, Jillian declared. As she unzipped the pack, a large chunk of green and purple spotted decayed meat slid onto the table. Thousands of white maggots crawled over both sides of it. I pressed my hand hard against my mouth, trying to force down my nausea, but the foul odor was so powerful I started to gag. Who, who put this in here? Jillian stammered. The tiny white maggots slithered off the chunk of rotten meat onto the kitchen table. I, I really feel sick, I murmured, and backed away from the table. Randy was swallowing rapidly. She had her fingers pressed over her nose. She stared in disgust as the maggots crawled over the table. Jillian reached into the backpack and pulled out an envelope. Maggots crawled over the envelope, too. She pulled out a sheet of lined paper. It, it's a note, she choked out. As she unfolded it, Randy and I moved behind her. I held my breath, but I could still smell the fetid aroma of the rotted meat. It was as if the smell had worked its way inside of me. All three of us read the scrawled handwriting at the same time and gasped in disbelief at its crude message.